I am so honored to be back. Seriously, it was an honor to be invited once. It was an honor. And you keep having me. And, and I'm very humbled by that. And uh, Pastor Dan, you, you've been a great friend. You know, I look at your wife. And then I look at you. How did you get her, you ugly thing? He did ask me, very kind of him, because I don't know, if you follow me around, I don't do this. He asked me to mention these, and my son, this is TR, he travels the world with me. I'll tell you something, listen to me. Did we bring the book Totally Forgiving Ourselves? I can't remember. Yeah, it's here too. I've had to forgive myself for something. For 25 years at Westminster Chapel, I put sermon preparation first, thinking I was putting God first. I put the church first, thinking I was putting God first. And after 25 years, I realized when it was time to go, if I had put my family first, I would have preached just as well. But I can't get those years back. And for a while, I lost him. But Joel says God will restore the years which the locusts have eaten. And now, TR literally travels the world with me. And my wife Louise used to go, but she likes the grandchildren and TR. He, until COVID, we were going all over the world. South America, South Africa, Korea, all over Europe. And God has just been so good to me. And he, so he handles these books. And I just wanted you to know, I've had to forgive myself, but God has restored. And I, I just, I've never done this before in front of you, in front of all these people, have I? Yeah. You forgive me? <laughs> Okay, well, that totally forgiving ourselves uh, is here. But here's the main book. A year ago, my publisher said, RT, do you have anything on your heart regarding COVID and the present crisis? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. What is it? I said, as Joshua said to the children of Israel, as they were going into the promised land, keep your eyes on the ark We've never been this way before. And this is the title of my book, We've Never Been This Way Before. It's like the last hymn we sung. You know, sometimes God takes a mountain to get our attention. Well, in this book, I describe what I believe, you need to read it and you'll be convinced, I think, America is under judgment. I, I think what has happened is God's right in the middle of it. There are five kinds of judgment. I talk about it in the book. One is gracious judgment. I believe that's what's going on. And God is trying to get our attention. And I'll say further, read the book, decide. Why are we under judgment? I'll tell you. I believe for racism. You have no idea how God hates racism. Legalized abortions. 60 million babies have been killed in the last several years over that. Same-sex marriage, 
used to be hated. President Obama was against same-sex marriage. Then in second term, he changed his mind. Now the whole world goes along with him. And then theological liberalism, where the gospel is denied, no need to get people saved. God is angry. But I do believe what is going on will culminate in the greatest revival in the history of the world. And I make the case in this little book. We've never been this way before. Uh, a book I, it just came out three months ago. You might be a Pharisee if. You know the book, You Might Be a Redneck If. Well, I've come up, I borrowed the same idea. You just might be a Pharisee if. And you can laugh at yourself or fall on your knees when you read this. Uh, my best known book is Total Forgiveness. Uh, and uh, I've written, well, the, the publisher came out with a devotional, 40 Days to Total Forgiveness. That just came out a week ago. Uh, and uh, by the way, these books, original price up 16 17 dollars $18, $12, everything. We get rid of them. Uh, if that way. <laughs> We can't, we don't want to take them back to Nashville. Uh, same with Word and Spirit. My DNA is Word and Spirit. I'm on television four times a week in Britain. They call my program Word and Spirit. Word churches need to be open to the Holy Spirit. They're afraid of the Holy Spirit. Spirit churches, I think, need to be more careful with their theology and know their Bibles. Uh, this is the original. And here's another one, 40 days in the Word and Spirit to introduce it to you. Um, here's a book that came out uh, a year ago, Is Your God Too Nice? Um, for an audience of one, Billy Graham preached to millions, but he was doing it for an audience of one. How this translates into our daily lives. And if there was only one book I would be remembered for 50 years from now, whatever happened to the gospel? Anyway, that's what we brought. $12 if you care to, and thank you, son. I've never done this to him before. Pastor Dan, I blame you for that. If, if he's upset with me, I'm going to send him to, to you, give him counseling. <laughs> By the way, you are pretty. <laughs> and Dan, you're not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, it's time to quit. To <laughs> I want to read two verses, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken up, he was commended as having pleased God. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to fall upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear, simple, and may this be life-changing and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I grew up back in Ashland, Kentucky, and by the way, I hate to put you off by mentioning Kentucky. I know how you feel, but look, I don't think I'm better than you because I'm from Kentucky. I don't want you to feel intimidated. You know. I don't think I'm better. I, I probably am, I just don't think it. You, you Texans, I, I know what you think. But you've got Texas barbecue. That's how he lures me over here. As I grew up in Kentucky, my father told me this story many times, that when my mother was pregnant with me, six months pregnant, and my father and mother were in a church in Indianapolis, Indiana, and my father was so taken by the preacher that he told me that he put his hand on my mother's tummy and said, Lord, let my son, he didn't know it was going to be a boy, but he was hoping, let my son preached like this one day. Fast forward, 20 years later, I'm at Trevecca Nazarene College in Nashville. We all had to required, it was required that we attend chapel every day. And so I've been hundreds of chapel services. I only remember one sermon. And the preacher took his text from Hebrews 11 verse 5. But Enoch, before his translation, had this testimony that he pleased God. It's the only sermon I remember. It so gripped me and sobered me that I rushed to my dormitory room, got on my knees, and said, God, help me to be an Enoch, to live to please you. Not only that, I got on the phone, I called my father. Never had done this before. I said, Dad, I just heard a sermon in the chapel on pleasing God. I've never heard anything like it. He said, who was the preacher? I said, C.B. Cox. Oh, son, that was the preacher 
that your mom and I heard in Indianapolis, Indiana, when I put my hands on your mother's tummy and pray that one day you would preach like that. And over the years, I've wanted to preach a sermon on this. I've never felt up to it, and I'm not sure that I do today. But I will say this, this verse has gripped me. Charles Spurgeon used to say, if a text gets hold of you, chances are you've got a hold of it. And so I would have thought that the greatest thing that could ever be said about you, they may not say about it, about you on earth, but if the angels, the sainted dead, that God himself would say of you that you pleased him, that you pleased him. Recently, I watched the funeral of Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, died at the age of 99, 73 years, husband to Queen Elizabeth. And they told about his honors. Uh, It took three or four minutes just to tell him his honors. I kept thinking, I wonder if he thinks that that will get him to heaven. I don't know. And there are those who get their honors. And they live for that. What will be said about them at the funeral? Well, I'll tell you right now, There's one thing I would rather have said of me than anything. That I could be like Enoch. That before I'm taken to glory, it could be said in heaven that I pleased God. Well, it's one thing to have a pedigree, have a list of honors. The Apostle Paul mentions his pedigree. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee. He goes on and on. But he said, all these things, I count them for nothing. Nothing. And honor may be important to you. And the praise of people, that may be important to you. But there will be a day when it will mean nothing. And what a testimony. Now, it doesn't say that Enoch pleased his parents. Sometimes that's hard to do. I remember when I was in grade school back in Kentucky, I made B's and C's, and my dad said, Son, I look forward to the day you can make A's and B's. And I did. And I was so pleased. I said, Good, look, A's and B's. He said, You know, son, that's good, but... You try real hard, next time you can get all A's. And I did. But as I came home, there were two A minuses of all the A's. And I thought, oh, no, I know what he'll notice. He did. You see, there, sometimes you just can't please your parents. Doesn't say that Enoch pleased his friends. Your friends will be friends as long as you please them. Do you know what a real friend is? Well, a couple of definitions. One, he knows all about you and still likes you. Or here's a real friend, one who rejoices when you rejoice. You can find a lot of friends rejoice when you're suffering and they weep with you. And it's good to have that, but when something really good happens and 
You think, who can I tell this to? I'll tell him, oh, no, they won't like it. You know, to find someone who will rejoice with you because you can't always please your friends. Doesn't say that Enoch pleased his wife. Sometimes that's hard to do. You don't need to get quiet. (laughs) You know it's true. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) I've got to tell you this. I was preaching in Northern Ireland on loving your enemy and praying for your enemy. And a man came up to me after the sermon. He said, can I ask you a question? He wanted to make sure nobody was listening. He said, can your enemy be your wife? I said, yeah. He said, thank you. (laughs) And another man, I'm not making this up, from Northern Ireland, came up and said, I love your sermon on living in an unhappy marriage. I said, I haven't written a book on unhappy marriage. He said, yes, you have. It changed my life. I said, I haven't. Then it hit me. I wrote a book called Thorn in the Flesh, And one of the chapters was unhappy marriage. Well, it doesn't say Enoch pleased his wife. It doesn't say he pleased his enemies. Do you know what it is to have an enemy? And maybe try to win them over and say something. I've got one or two. I know one in particular. I did everything I could to win him. Nothing worked. It doesn't say Enoch pleased those who were jealous of him. There's a proverb, who can stand before jealousy? There's nothing you can do. So what is left? Well, do you know, it doesn't even say he pleased himself. Think about that. Romans 15.3, even Christ pleased not himself. But here's what it does say. He pleased God. And we're talking about a possible thing. You see, it's the greatest and grandest thing that can ever be said about a human being. But don't expect it necessarily here on earth. It's in heaven where it matters. And I felt led to bring this to you today. It would be my hope and prayer that somehow this would make you want to steal away when you get home. Go to God and say, Father, this is what I want. This is what I want. And get your joy from pleasing Him. Well, it is a possible thing. Now, this comes from the 11th chapter of Hebrews, uh, you will know that Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. James 3, tongue chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, love chapter. Hebrews 11, faith chapter. But there are two kinds of faith. One, saving faith. That's what gets you to heaven. The other, persistent faith. That's what brings pleasure to God. And Hebrews 11 is about persistent faith. 
And the reason the writer wrote Hebrews 11 is he wanted to show examples of people who didn't give up because the Hebrew Christians were discouraged. They were outnumbered. Vindication had been withheld from them. They weren't seeing the numbers that they used to see. And they were just discouraged. And so, chapter 10, Hebrews 10, verse 35 and 36, don't give up your confidence. Don't give up. It has great recompense of reward. And then he gives the 11th chapter of examples. Who? Very appropriate that this hymn we just sang before speaking. You know, if you face a mountain you've never faced before, it maybe takes that to get your attention. Do you realize Hebrews 11, every single one of them, no exception, had to do what had never been done before. This is the challenge. If somebody else has done it, it's, yeah, you, you can go that way. But when nobody's been this way before. You see, Enoch, before his translation, by the way, there were only two people in the Bible this is said about. Elijah was taken to heaven. Enoch was taken to heaven. And so he's followed by Noah. What does it say about Noah? Well, Noah... He wants to do what Enoch did. Do you know what it says about Enoch in Genesis? He said he walked with God. Do you know what it says about Noah? He walked with God. And I can imagine that Noah would say, well, it won't be long now. I'm going to be taken to heaven. And after many years, he says, I'm walking with God, but I'm not taken to heaven. What's going wrong? And God says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. What? An ark? Enoch didn't have to do that. I know. You do. And so Enoch builds an ark. Never before done? Not since. Abraham is next on the list. What does it say about Abraham? He walks with God. He thought, well, when do I start building the ark? You won't be building an ark, Abraham. Just follow me. So he goes out. He doesn't even know where he's going. Not a single one of them. Moses. All of those. Joseph. Samuel. Everyone. They had to do something different. You can't look over your shoulder and say, well, there's a precedent for this. But do you realize what God has handed to us on a silver platter? Do you know what he's given to us? A chance to be Hebrews 11 people. And you can do what they did. You can please God by persistent faith. You don't give up. You don't shake your fists at God. And you don't wallow in self-pity. But you see it as a challenge. God is giving you this wonderful opportunity. Well, Hebrews 11 is how to enjoy a greater relationship with God. And you do it by persistent faith. Every single person in Hebrews 11 had to do something different from what was ever done before. What's interesting is, some escaped the sword and they lived. 
And you would say, well, if you're pleasing God, then you won't die. And then others, same faith, they were sawed in two. You see, there's no rhyme, no reason as to what will do it. You've got to keep your eyes on God. And so Hebrews 12 says, we keep our eyes on Jesus. And as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, our motive, not looking over our shoulder, what's happened to him, what's happened to her, what's he doing? No, you just trust the Lord. And you will have a trial that's different from anyone else. And as long as you look over your shoulder and see about them, you abuse it, you mess up. But God is looking for somebody here in Bethesda that you will keep your eyes on him. And you may be the only one that is required to go in a particular direction. And that's the point of what I believe I'm supposed to share with you today. Uh, this sermon is only going to appeal to someone who wants to please the Lord and be content with just pleasing Him. Many years ago, I would say it's been over 60 years ago, a verse came to me, John 5.44, that gripped me, and I have sought, I haven't succeeded completely, I've sought to let John 5, 44, be my life verse. It's when Jesus said to the Pharisees, how can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from the only God? You see, you wonder why the Jews missed their Messiah 2,000 years ago? John 5, 44 tells you. Jesus knew the Pharisees didn't believe in him. He knew the Sadducees didn't believe in him. He knew none of the Jews believed in him, except those who he chose his followers. He knew why they didn't believe. He says, how can you? How can you when you receive honor one of another? In other words, approval from one another. And you don't even try to Seek the honor that comes from God only. You see, the Jews should have been first to know that the God of the Old Testament is a God of glory. He wants praise. He, he's a jealous God. And you love him because he's that way. There are those who resent it. You know, we all love and admire Oprah Winfrey. I do. I'm her greatest fan. Terrific. But do you know that when she was a teenager... Brought up in a Baptist church in Mississippi, she heard the preacher say, God is a jealous God. And she said, I don't want that. And she turned her back on her evangelical heritage. She said, well, look how she's turned out. It's not over yet. I wouldn't want to be in her shoes for anything in the world. The honor that comes from God it doesn't get better than this. And that's what Enoch had. Now let me go back to these two kinds of faith. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? If you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, he might. Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Let's suppose we passed out sheets of paper as you came in. You don't know why, but now I want you to go along with me. Imagine you got a sheet of paper, get out your pen, write down exactly what you would say to God. He says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? And there's only one answer. Give the wrong answer, you have to go someplace else. It's very real. You don't want to go to hell. Hell is a no-joke thing. It's real. And now you're standing before God, and you won't have anybody to coach you, whisper the answer to you. You'll stand alone. What would you say to God? Why he should let you in? And what did you just write down? Suppose I have everybody pass your sheets to the end of the aisle, ushers pick them up, bring them up, and I've got hundreds of pieces of paper here. Would you like to hear some of the answers, if, it's, if you're typical? Oh, here's, I've tried to live a good life. Good. I believe you. But you're lost. Here's another. I was brought up in a Christian home. Wonderful. That means you had a head start. But that won't save you. There's another. I've been baptized. Sorry, that won't save you. Here's another. I was baptized by a Baptist preacher. <laughs> you are lost as a goose. Here's another. I've done my very, very best. And I would say, I believe you, but that won't save you. Well, RT, what more can you do than your best? Oh, this is why God sent his son into the world, to die on a cross for our sins. And I have to tell you, whoever you are, if you didn't write that down on that piece of paper, Jesus died for me. The blood of Jesus, or the equivalent. If you didn't write that down, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. Now, that's saving faith. Hebrews 11 is not about that. The second is persistent faith, and that is when you have your eyes on God and you do what He says for you to do. Your immediate reaction is, well, what about my friend? This, this is what Peter said. When Peter was told how he was going to die, John 21, all Peter could think about well, what about John? And Jesus said, shut up. It's none of your business. You follow me. And so, pleasing God, it's just between you and him. And that's persistent faith. I would put a challenge to you right now. Here's the challenge. Get your joy from knowing you please Him. Well, let me put it another way. Let me put it this way. Which gives you more satisfaction? When God pleases you or when you please Him? 
Well, I think if we're all totally honest, we, we want him to please us, answer our prayer, supply our need, open this door, you know, good health. I can understand that. But I would urge you, learn to get your satisfaction from knowing you please him. You please him. And I, all the time, I'm having to practice what I preach. I get discouraged and I think, Lord, I've asked for this. How many times? When will you answer? And then he'll say, RT, what is it you preach? You get your satisfaction out of pleasing me. I think, You're right, Lord. And you see, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. Impossible. And so you get your joy from knowing that when you're not getting your way and God's not answering your prayer and to know that he's looking at you and it's a test. Get your satisfaction from knowing you please me. Many of you will have heard, I hope, yes you have, of Arthur Blessed. He's not well. I don't know how long he will live. He's an old friend. He came to Westminster Chapel, turned us upside down, carried a cross around the world. He told me this story. He was in northern Israel. And usually he would make preparation where to put the cross overnight. And he, but he didn't get around to doing it. And he's in northern Israel. It's getting dark. He sees a bus stop, a bench. And so he lays his cross down lies down on the bench and it starts to rain and it's cold and Arthur sat on the edge of the bench and said rain in Jesus name stop what do you suppose happened it rained harder than ever <laughs> lightning thunder and the water just beat down on Arthur's face he said, God, I love you. You see, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And so, we've never been this way before. We're in a challenge. And so, will you be an Enoch? And the only way to do it is by faith. Now, Here's what he means by faith. Two things. One, you believe that God exists. King James Version, we believe that God is. Well, you say, well, surely we believe that. Well, here's the thing. When a severe trial comes, the devil will come along and say, see there, there's no God or this wouldn't happen. And the greatest saint faces that, unbelief. And so the reason the writer puts it that way, when you're in a trial, he's saying this at the beginning of Hebrews 11, the enemy is going to come along and say, there's no God, and you're discouraged. And if you want to have the testimony that you please God, the first thing you say, Lord, I trust you. I believe in you. I'm not going to give up. I don't care what happens. I'm here to stay. Just don't look back. I don't listen to the devil. Stay there. But there's more. 
you believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, God brings things to test us. It says of Hezekiah, the Lord left him to test him. The Lord left him to test him, to see what was in his heart. And so you know that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now this isn't a perfunctory faith like the Apostles' Creed. That's faith. I believe in God the Father, Almighty maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ the Son. I believe in the Virgin. That's faith, but that won't do in a hard trial. You've got to have more than perfunctory faith. You need to discover God for yourself. You see, this is the way it was with Jacob. Jacob, grandson of Abraham, son of Isaac. And Jacob was a rogue. He had not been a very nice man. And he needed to do what everybody does. You find out whether God is real. Not because you listen to a testimony from someone else and you think, oh, that makes me feel better. No, that's not good enough. Or you find out for yourself how real he is. That's pleasing God. You don't give up. You do not give up. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Well, I imagine that one day God looked down and said, Enoch, you know too much. Come up here with me. No greater feeling. Because there's a way the Greek could be translated in this verse. He had this testimony. The word testimony, same as witness. He had the witness. Witness of the Spirit. That it was pleasing God. And when you get that, you think, Lord, is it true? I'm pleasing you. It's the greatest feeling in the world. Do you know there's a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, King James Version, that Jesus was justified by the Spirit. Justified, probably not the right word. Most translations put, he was vindicated by the Spirit. What that means is that Jesus didn't get his vindication externally. In other words, he didn't need the disciples' approval. He didn't get the approval of people. But he knew that God approved. Holy Spirit. And that's where he got his joy. And even after Jesus was raised from the dead, listen to this. It wasn't external vindication. Oh, on Easter morning, did did Jesus walk over to the door of Pontius Pilate and say, surprise. No. He got his vindication from the Father and then to those disciples that followed them. He rewarded them. And God will reward you. And it doesn't get better than this. We all like external approval. Of course I like it. When your pastor 
says nice things about me. I don't outgrow that. But if I start taking that seriously, you would not ever have me back. That's not where I get my joy. And I would urge you the same thing. You have this witness. You're in it for one reason, to please the one that you're gonna have to face one day. I close. The first step in pleasing God is facing eternity. Maybe nobody needed my question a while ago. If you were to stand before God in Hebrews to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Maybe nobody needed that. But I want you to be honest. Here's a test. Here's a test. Whether you just want to please God. If on that sheet of paper you did not write down because Jesus died for me. You didn't write that down. Or I'm trusting the blood of Jesus. If you didn't write that down. As I said, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. Would you then pray this prayer, wherever you are? Don't need to close your eyes. Don't need to say it out loud. God will see you. If you just say this, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. And as best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? Did anybody pray that prayer? Are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? Why do you ask, R.T.? Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech, but it's a test that you want only to please him. And you prayed that prayer because you needed to pray it. I'm going to ask you in the next 15 seconds to stand up. You say, in front of all these people? Yep. Yeah, that will show whether you're looking over your shoulder, but you only want the honor of God. Five, four, three, two, one. If you prayed that prayer, just stand up. Good. 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 Just stay standing. Just, just a brief, brief word to you, brief word. Now, it's my experience when I give this kind of an appeal, sometimes true Christians will stand. They just want to be sure. They want assurance, that's fine. So it, with some of you, this is not the day of your conversion. It's reassurance, you honored God, you did the right thing. But... If someone here, you've prayed it for the first time, you've just been born again. Happy birthday. You'll be seated.